All right. Office hours here live from SoFi Stadium, but I can't share the field because it's too loud out there. So I'm in the corner of my freezing office, which is why I'm wearing a sweater. I'm here with my friend and mentor, Blaine Bartlett. Learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash LMM. That's the mindset mastermind. That's why he's my mentor, getting my mindset correct, knowing I'm in control of my mindset, my heart set, and my hand set. Uh, there you go. Blaine. How are you? Good to be back with you, David. Doing oh great gosh. today. I love seeing you, and we're so blessed to start out with Elizabeth Ruzo. She has a question for us. She's the founder of, I'm hopefully said this right, add in. Uh, A-D-Y-N, uh, and right up our alley. She's a scientist in a space that you and I uh, talk about often because I talk about energetic and genetic inheritance, and she's a PhD yep. in genetics and hopefully can help us with the epigenetic side and genetic side of depression and suicide, uh, which is a pandemic in itself that created my mission as a catalyst to empower over a billion people to be happy. Uh, Elizabeth, Welcome to Office Hours. Thank you for having me to Office Hours. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you. Well, um, give us just a brief background of Add-In and would love to answer a question for you as we start off this unbelievable afternoon session. So I am the founder and CEO of Aiden. Aiden, um, perfect. Aiden, yeah. <laughs> nice. And, and Aiden has created the first test that's designed to prevent birth control side effects. So it's an at-home test, um, and I thought it would be fun to ask you each four questions um, about the kind of the history of birth control to frame the problem. So oh, cool. are you game? Are you game for that? We're both game. Okay. So the first one is how many kinds of prescription birth control options are available in the U.S.? Prescription. Prescription birth control options. Wow. Yeah. Five. Um, two. 181. We were close. <laughs> so this is why it's a massive problem because right now the standard of care is basically trial and error with your doctor to try to pick the best one. So, okay, the second is question. Is the pullout method, is that, is that prescription? That is not prescription. <laughs> okay, I just wanted yeah, to know the limit. Not, right. not highly effective. <laughs> yeah, that's why I got a son. I got it. <laughs> Okay, the next question is, when did the first contraceptive pill come onto the market in the U.S.? What year? The pill? Yeah. I would have been back in the 50s. 60s. Oh, 61. 1960. Yep. Oh, we're right on it. Both close. Yeah, good job. Okay, the third one is, when did it become law in the U.S. that women were included in clinical trials? For, for birth control. Just clinical trials, period. <laughs> That probably yeah. wasn't until the 70s at the earliest. 72. 72. It actually wasn't until 1993. Whoa. <laughs> so we have this massive medical gender research gap as a result of women intentionally being excluded from clinical trials for decades. This is over half the population of the yeah. entire world. Exactly. Well, it's the higher it's the higher end of the gene pool at that. She's a geneticist, so I know she yeah. can agree. So it's even worse than being over half of the population. It's the better half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, your last question. How many years, on average, does the U.S. woman use contraceptives? Uh, 32. 
26. You, very close. The answer is 30. Oh, we nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you guys, you guys did well, but that the, the 30 years kind of leads into the question I was hoping to ask you about. So I think one of the challenges Aiden is up against um, as we start out, at least as a direct to consumer company is, you know, our potential audience is very broad. Um, so how do we think about marketing to a population that includes anywhere from teens, you know, uh, seven and 10 teens go on birth control to manage symptoms of PC, PMS, et cetera, um, to new parents, to perimenopause. And so what advice do you have for thinking about, um, especially at this early stage, as we're trying to figure out who our product resonates with? You know, should we focus on messaging one audience that we think it's going to stick with? Should we tailor messaging to different audiences or should we go with much broader messaging and hope that that appeals to a broader range of people? Before I answer real quick here, this, this, it's still prescribed, right? So you've got to have the, the medical, prof the quote unquote medical profession on board with this, correct? Yeah. So Aiden actually provides the doctors. So the test is actually ordered yeah. by our physicians. And then we also provide a telemedicine visit um, after you get the results of your birth control test to give that contraceptive counseling appointment. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just real quick, because we, we got we got a green room. I wasn't anticipating, but I absolutely, you got to find your frequency. You, you need to go very, very narrow. You have a huge audience. And so you go ahead and make yourself equal, then make yourself better and stick to that frequency and allow the doctors to resonate with the appreciation of the differences of what you can do. And I would go very, very narrow, very strong with your messaging of what you do better. Make yourself equal, make yourself better. Do not go wide. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say as well. I mean, with that large an audience, it's going to be real easy to get lost in all the noise. Mm -hmm. um, if you, you've got that many prescription options, it's just crazy. So you leverage you leverage your experts, which is mm -hmm. the medical professionals that you're actually working with, and that becomes your marketing arm. The you know, and so you know you bifurcate that and say, okay, who who's actually frequenting these these docs? Yeah, who yeah, where are we getting these clients from? And then you just ramp that up, and then then you build a, com a community that begins to network in a spot. You know, basically proselytize. Yeah, the efficacy yeah. of this because it's tailored. It's it's absolutely tailored. It's one of the magical things about Aiden. This is tailored. There's no side yeah. effects. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I think the doctors um, who we've already worked with really understand what we're doing and the the value that it adds to them being able to give medically actionable results. So I appreciate you thinking of them as as helpful evangelists. Absolutely. Yep. The word will get out. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank we look you. Forward. Everyone check out Aiden.com, A-D-Y-N.com. Uh, we will look forward to seeing your growth and all the help that you're giving to a seriously underserved community. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, uh, get, your, get my email and ping me because I'd, I'd like to connect you with uh, a couple of VC options. Amazing. Thank you so much. You heard it here first on Office Hours. That's my boy, Blaine Bartlett. Learn about Blaine Bartlett, always being abundant in the facilitating help to everyone. All right, the price is right now, my friend. We have Johnny Price on board, and we got another type of opportunity, the VP of fundraising at WeFunder. 
And, you know, funding and equity opportunity was always, uh, you know, a game for the rich. And now uh, you utilize WeFunder and we're opening up angel investing, not just to the millionaires, billionaires and entrepreneurs, but anyone can invest in startups that they love, not just rich people like Blaine, but anybody uh, can do it, even if you're born in Akron, Ohio. Mr. Price, welcome to Office Hours. Thanks so much. Yeah, even if you're a poor person like me, you can invest in startups now. And uh, I love how you ended that last conversation with Elizabeth talking about uh, evangelists. Uh, you know, what we're doing is enabling um, Aiden's customers to invest in Aiden. And we believe that turns them into even more enthusiastic evangelists for the brand, as well as obviously uh, investors in the company. That's no, brilliant. Yeah. yeah, no, go ahead. I mean, just, yeah. If I buy, let me invest. If I buy, let me invest. I mean, just that that cycle. Yeah. And I, you know, with the crowdfunding aspect and the emotional attachment that people have, and I know I'm working with Verb Technologies, Rory Katai is a big part of uh, some of my TV shows, and they're, you know, taking this WeFunder attitude to another level where not only uh, are you, when you're interested, but now you have a seamless integration where you can go ahead and invest uh, in a company and and by the product as well. I mean, part of crowdfunding is not only investing, but it's supporting uh, the cause a, a lot of times by purchasing the product and building the accelerated uh, community that allows a company to have some legs uh, in order to get past that initial uh, you know, biggest hurdle, which is staying in business. When we get a little bit of momentum, a support group behind us and a little bit of money, the statistical success goes way up. How did you come up with the idea uh, of taking crowdfunding to this level of angel investment? Yeah, so WeFund was founded back in 2012. Um, so our founders were pretty instrumental in getting the Jobs Act, uh, Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act through Congress in 2012. Um, they were serial entrepreneurs themselves and they were frustrated because they held all these smart friends um, who were starting cool companies. And because they weren't yet accredited investors, they were prevented from investing in them. And they said, this is frustrating, first of all, and it's very un-American. You know, you can you can go and invest in Starbucks on the stock market, but you can't invest in this cool coffee shop uh, down the street from me. Or you can go and drop $100 on the spin of roulette wheel in Vegas, but you can't invest $100 in my friend's SaaS startup. So they lobbied and, and changed the law. Obama signed it into law in 2012. They were in the Rose Garden when he did that. Um, it then took the SEC four years to roll out the regulations and actually implement them. Uh, but in May 2016, the, the law changed for the first time in, you know, since the 1930s, the Securities Act of the 1930s. Now, anyone, unaccredited investors could legally invest in startups as well as accredited investors. Um, and so WeFunder was the kind of first platform out the gate in 2016. And then we've been leading, leading the regulation crowdfunding market um, since then. The law is pretty interesting and important update in March of this year, 2021. Um, the SEC made some updates to the regulation crowdfunding laws. So previously, founders were only able to raise uh, $1 million per year. As of March, they can now raise $5 million per year. And previously, uh, we couldn't use an SPV, special purpose vehicle, to roll investors to one line on the cap table. Now we can. You can also launch a campaign in 15 minutes. Previously, it took several weeks. So several of these law changes, pretty important. And now WeFunder is um, you know, growing very, very quickly, as is the whole market. 
Yeah. Now you you funded over five billion dollars uh, in you know, with this 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 process and this platform. Not right. quite. So, so WeFunder ourselves has, has funded uh, more like 350 million. The 5 billion you're referring to is in follow-on financing that's been okay. invested into uh, our portfolio companies after they raised on WeFunder. Uh, I, I wanted to clarify that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Good. Yeah. You, you know, Johnny, one of the aspects that a lot of people don't understand the significance of the job act, as well as the increase in the amount you can raise is that Previous, we talked about, you know, the common man can invest. The reason that's so important is that only the rich have the opportunity to get the exponential value. 100%. And I think we don't want to skip over. I was hoping you could explain what yeah. the significant uh, advantage it is for someone to give $100 and be able to get the 100 times return where yeah. before you needed 50 or 100,000 AMBI accredited to yeah. get the 100 times return. So a story I like to give is that Jason Calacanis, he's you know famous angel investor. He invested 25k in Uber's seed round, and at their IPO, as this is the numbers that I understand, I hope they're I think they're roughly right at least. In their IPO, he made 125 million, right? So 5,000 extra return. But you know he's he's probably you know almost as wealthy as Blaine, right? Yeah. Um, so, so we kind of took, you know, an existing millionaire and, and now kind of made him a bunch more money and, and that's all good. But like, what if that, uh, 25 K initial investment had been split around 125 people investing $200 each on WeFunder, we would have created 125 new millionaires. Right. And just to be very explicit, investing in startups is super risky. <laughs> Most of yes. them are probably going to go to zero. It's very illiquid, right? We don't yet have a vibrant secondary market. It's in our kind of long-term or even actually not that long-term future to build a secondary market and NASDAQ for, you know, private, private companies as well. Um, but, you know, it's still a relatively illiquid asset. It's highly risky. So, you know, want to put out those cav oh, yeah, caveats that's very right. prominently <laughs> yeah. but yeah. you know the the wealth that startups create is probably among the most explosive wealth creation opportunities that exist for investors right so if you say the only people that get to participate and play in that are millionaires and billionaires then we would argue that's that's kind of another force for the concentration of wealth in in the hands of a smaller and smaller number of people so we fund as a, a b corp and a public benefit corporation and our PBC charter talks about this is like what we're trying to do is fix capitalism and share the wealth that's been created by capitalism more broadly um, throughout you know, society. And, and then that's on the investor side. And then on the founder side, we basically just want to make it easier for founders to raise capital. We think it's a good thing. Yeah. If more capital is flowing to early stage founders. More founders are given you know, the money they need to take their shot, especially if you look at underrepresented founders today, very little capital going to female founders, black founders, you know, three states account for 77% of venture capital dollars today, California, New York, and Massachusetts. So what we're trying to do is use democracy, open up angel investing for everyone and, and thereby kind of level the playing field um, for, you know, women of color in, in Cleveland or, um, you know, Ekron, I think you mentioned earlier, David. <laughs> Yeah, a shameless plug here for David and I, Compassionate Capitalism. What you're talking about is essentially leveling the playing field, businesses and in the, the, the funding business, the funding business becoming a center of distribution, not a center of aggregation or accumulation. And it's mm -hmm. that distribution that makes the, that, that literally makes capitalism work. 
Capitalism 100%. today doesn't work like it's supposed to because everybody's focused on accumulation. You become a center of distribution and the engine works really well when you're working it that way. Yeah, 100 percent. So, And it's partly about the, the distribution of capital that you're talking about there, Blaine. I think it's also about like, you know, if as a founder, you raise five million dollars from five thousand people investing a thousand bucks, and that's the average investment on WeFunder. The median's two fifty bucks, but the mean is a thousand dollars. You just recruited an army of five thousand people that you can put to work to evangelists, as we said earlier, right? Loyal customers are going to churn less; they're going to spend a higher, you know, share of wallet with you. If you're hiring for a software engineer, they can share the job description on LinkedIn. Um, so WeFunder is very much; it's not just about the money, but it's trying to say, okay, how can we empower startup founders, you know, and, and we do main street businesses as well as tech startups, but how do we empower startup founders by giving them this army of supporters and social capital is the word we use a lot. Yeah. And you know, you got to go ahead. Go ahead. I'm oh, no, I was, I was just going to say, yeah, the average uh, guy off the street, guy out, gal off the street, how easy it for the, is it for them to actually make that investment on your platform? Yeah, I you can do it in a minute. I mean, it's it's kind of like you know making making uh a, you know doing something on Kickstarter, right? It's very simple. Yeah. Use a credit card. You can you can use Plaid and with a bank account if you want to, but it's it's beautifully simple. I would highly encourage you guys to uh, make several such investments. Uh, you know, later on tonight. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I think you make a good point, right? And it's why crypto and you know yeah. some of our meme meme tokens are doing so well because it's it's fun it you know but it, it does have a good purpose right we're giving a lot more companies a better chance to survive and to grow and to to have a lottery ticket and even take the investor that puts twenty five thousand dollars into uber you know he may now decide to put a thousand dollars into 25 companies because he has exposure as well and yeah. more knowledge of, of more deals uh because it was very difficult you know if you're bradley tusk you know, and you're a regulatory genius and you get involved in Uber early and he's telling his closed knit friends. Not many other people knew early on about Uber to even give their 25 grand. Uh, but now everyone can know about it. And whether you're putting a hundred or you're putting a thousand, you know, 25 and you, you hit, you got a much better chance of hitting an Uber and still doing very well with 12.5 million on your return instead of 125 million. Yeah, uh, you, you can have a lot more investment dollars in the flow. And, mm -hmm. you know, as much as, uh, you know, people think that prospecting with tokens and crypto is one thing, uh, you know, I'd much rather invest uh, my lottery ticket money into people, uh, into entrepreneurs uh, than yeah. to some meme. And I think it's an impor important thing for even accredited investors to have a better opportunity of being successful and supporting far more companies and giving them yeah. exposure that they need in order to get more funding. And and portfolio diversification, right? To, to your point, David, I, I was chatting to an angel investor here in Nashville, where I live now. I moved here a year ago from San Francisco, where I was for 10 years, because we have three kids. So wanted wanted slightly more than, you know, four square foot per person in our family <laughs> uh, to live in. Uh, and, you know, I was talking to this angel investor here, and he was saying, you know, he, he exited, had a small exit from his company, and, you know, had maybe 120 grand that he wanted to, okay, let's make some angel investments, right? Made three angel investments and all of them were kind of looking dicey, right? Kind of average of 40K a pop, right? 
And if he'd been able to spread that 120K rounds, you know, 25 companies, four or five grand each, then, you know, uh, he would have had much more kind of diverse um, portfolio and would have given him a little more resilience in the portfolio. So, yeah, we certainly we hope we can kind of make it easier for more people to kind of dip their toe in the water of, uh, of angel investing by low, lowering the barrier to entry. Well, I'm investing in night, like Love you suggest. <laughs> we are so uh, appreciative for WeFunder to give so many different people so many different opportunities and to give the support to who I think is going to save the world. You know, it's the innovators and the entrepreneurs that are going to save this world. It's not going to be conservation. We, I suggest and encourage people to, to utilize conservation, but I'm more spending my money on innovation to solve the problems of human nature uh, than nature itself. Uh, so I appreciate yeah. what you're doing. We're going to have a great social impact in a variety of different ways by utilizing WeFunder. Uh, check out Johnny on the spot. That's right. The price is right. Johnny Price, WeFunder.com. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, man. Great to meet awesome. you, Johnny. Awesome. Hey, I love right. that. Love it. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to go to takeaways of the day, you and I. Uh, we're going to take on just two guests today. Our uh -huh. uh, ne next guest here will reschedule. They're, they're running too far behind. So uh, I would love to take a little extra time on your takeaway of the day. You know, no unintended side effects. I think I'm just going to go with that one. Uh, yeah, just with Elizabeth, you know, the, 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 the work she does to minimize or eliminate side effects of, you know, the birth control. Um, I mean, just, I mean, that is a very discreet and very focused area, but the investing side also uh, that Johnny's talking about the unintended side effect of the way that investing is set up today is only the rich get richer because only the rich seem to have access to that kind of information early on. And to be able to level that playing field uh, eliminates some of the unintended consequences uh, of how we conduct business today. So I think that that's, yeah. When, when I look at elegance, you know, both of them talked about what I'm calling elegance and elegance, you know, software coding, you know, when elegant code is code that's bug free. It doesn't, it does what it's supposed to do. I don't have to go back and clean up after myself. Both of these platforms that they were talking to, uh, they're elegant in, in, in concept. I don't have to go back and clean up after myself if we're doing things well. It's an elegant approach to doing business, whether it's genetic scientific application or financing that has been around for eons. How do I use my money wisely? So I think that's where I would go with the takeaway on this. I love that. And mine's a little bit different than I thought it was going to be. And I think it's vision. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, as we change policy and law, it takes time uh, for it to effectuate itself. And I think if you look at birth control uh, when it started here in the 50s and how it took 61 years to get us to where we are today. Um, yeah. But somebody back in 1950 had to have this vision, this dream uh, that went completely counterintuitive, counter-regulatory, counter-cultural uh, uh, to where we were in the 1950s. I mean, you can imagine, you know, being the first. I remember Cindy Eckerd, who created the the woman Viagra, you know, and people laughed at her. And, you know, of course, she exited for over a billion dollars. But it took a long time and a lot of people laughing at her, scoffing at her and mocking her. And, 
you know, that job, President Obama creating the Jobs Act, you know, 11 years ago. And it's going to have a tremendous social impact of inclusion, equity. Uh, you know, Johnny talked about these other issues and a great leader has great vision. He may not know exactly how it's going to unravel, but when they do these things in the 50s or, you know, here in 2011, because we have exponential acceleration that I would venture to say there's more change from two, uh, 2011 and now than from 1950 to 2011. Um, yeah. And so uh, you have to have great vision. And if my takeaway is that, you know, are you capable of utilizing what you know today and learn from the past in order to effectuate the outcomes of the future? Uh, with AI, we have this difficulty. You know, there's a lot, lot to think about. And it actually brings a lot of clarity and confidence that, you know what, the great leaders, the great innovators do have great intention, but also have great vision. And you're one of those people uh, that I rely on to help me uh, to create a vision and creativity and collaborate with the future. Uh, with what we do today. If we look in yeah. the past, it's nowhere, but we look to the future with the knowledge of the past. We're now here and you allow us all to be now here. So thanks so much, Blaine. I appreciate you. Absolutely. I, I love it. I, I love this show. I love I love what this show is. Look, it brings up some fascinating conversations. And, uh, and you know, the, the, this this piece on the takeaway, we, yeah, we did this on Bloomberg too, you know, the Bloomberg show. Yeah, the, which, the you were amazing, by the way. You, you uh, are at your yeah. best. on Blaine's good. At, he's good on digital, but he's amazing on TV. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, thank you. But but the, the idea of the takeaway, I mean, it, it just kind of chokes everything down to a golden nugget. And it's kind of like, here's, you, you synthesize. And if you're going to be successful in life, I think, I truly believe this, you've got to be able to synthesize what's going on around you so that you can use it because there's so much noise out there. There's so much that we're you know, being exposed to. Synthesize it, look at it, and then leverage it. You nailed it, my friend. As always, learn.blamebartlett.com forward slash LMM. That's the Mindset Mastermind by my mentor. People ask me all the time, where do you learn all this shit? Blaine Bartlett, it's easy. Read his books. Go visit him. He's an extraordinary mentor and a better friend even. Uh, send my love to your wife. Thanks for joining us here on Office Hours. Absolutely, my friend. Hey, travel safe. I will. Thank you. All right, everyone. That is my man, Blaine Bartlett. Check him out, david at dmelzer.com if you need anything from me. Bloomberg TV show tomorrow, Office Hours. If you haven't caught it, DVR it. Uh, it's an incredible show. Rob Deerdeck this week in a variety. Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Check us all out. This is where it all started here with Office Hours, the soul of business with Blaine Bartlett. Now we got the Mindset Mastermind with Blaine Bartlett. We are here to be of service and of value to you. But most importantly, everyone, whether you catch us here digitally or on TV, it doesn't matter. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Thank you, everybody. Have a great night. Take care.